0: Thank you for having me, it's really nice to be here. Um, thanks, Tim, for the uh, fine interview, um, not terrible, I guess that's, I'm pretty happy with that, as far as the rating, for how I go in general things. I mean, uh, I don't know if any of you know, but um, the church that David Jones was in, in uh, Brisbane, it has a plaque on the wall for one of its previous ministers commemorating all his great achievements and the, the you know, glorious ministry that he did at Ann Street Presbyterian Church, uh, and the, the epithet is he did what he could. Um, <laughs> which at first I thought was just hilariously faint praise to damn someone with, but now I'm like, actually, no. As I get older, I think um, I wouldn't, that's not a bad thing. He did what he could. I wouldn't mind that being mine. Uh, how about we pray together now, and uh, we'll uh, let God speak to us through this. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please bless me to speak the truth this evening, this afternoon, that you'd bless us together to hear you speak, to hear your spirit talk to us through these words, that as you speak to us through them, that our hearts might be changed, conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. That we might be who we were always destined to be, who you made us to be. Images of you. Images of you. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, each year, Jesus' family would do the family road trip. Um, now, who here grew up with driving holidays? Driving holidays, some people? Okay, there's a few of us. Uh, for some of you, you remember you know what it feels like in the front seat. You know, fairly calm and placid and enjoying the view. Uh, the rest of us remember the back seat where it was open warfare. There was things thrown, elbows thrown, feet stuck in your face. It was, it's, it's real. That's the back seat of my car on family holidays. But this wasn't your average family driving holiday. When Mary asks Joseph to buckle the kids up, he mean, she means the sandals. Right? We're talking dusty. We are talking each April, they would walk well over 100 kilometers up to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, all through the Christmas story, when you read through it, um, you see Joseph being faithful, being honourable, being God-fearing. You know this, this sort of tells you something about their family—the fact that every year they would go to Passover. They're a God-fearing family, and yet here the parenting skills get pretty badly tested. Jesus is 12 years old. It's Passover. Festival's just finished. I don't know how you feel after one day of Christmas with the kids on a sugar rush. I'm had it. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they've just had seven days of festival with the kids in a foreign city. And I'm imagining they're feeling something close to the Boxing Day post-Christmas exhaustion that I know I feel. And they just want to get back to Nazareth. And so they start making that dusty trip back up the M1. But for the first and not the last time in this story, we see Mary doesn't know something you see joseph and mary did not know that jesus had stayed in jerusalem so come the end of the day that they've set up tent they're starting to get dinner sorted for the kids but no jesus which is really annoying because jesus is the oldest he's probably helping the others get ready he's wrangling his little sister you know when she's sort of cranky helping out james with the toilet training but he's not there he's not coming where is he and so they go to check to see if he's with the cousins, but he's not there either. They check with everyone in the group that they know. It's not with any of their friends, and they're thinking, "Man, this is not good." And they start the long walk, a whole full day back to Jerusalem. Now, I think it depends on how old your kids are as to how long it takes you to freak out when they're missing, right? So, first time mum, toddler at the park. Any first, sort of toddler at the park, first time mum kind of age people. Anyone? No, not quite? Well, I reckon about my guess is about two thousandths of a second and you're like, oh my goodness, they're running to the road and you freak. Uh, kindy preschoolers? Any of you kids got kindy preschoolers? Oh, here's, a, here's a bit of audience participation. How long does it take you? If you've got a, a preschool age kid, you don't know where they are, how, how many minutes, how many seconds, how many days before you freak out? <laughs> how many is it for you? Couple weeks. Couple of weeks, okay, you would be fine. You'd do well in Palestine. Um, <laughs> And I think if you you go up to tweens, you go up to youth, it's a little longer. But by the time they even arrive back in Jerusalem, think about it, it's been two days since they knew where he was. And he's 12, and he's alone in the big city, and they're not from the big smoke. They've had a whole day and a whole night on the way to run through all the scenarios in their head. Now, if you're an anxious person, if you're someone prone to worry, what's the worst thing someone could give you? An unknown scenario and lots of time with nothing to do but walk and worry about it, right? Trying to imagine what might have happened to him, what mischief he might be up to, how long he'll be grounded for. And then they begin their search. Three days. And in the last place they thought to look, there he is. Not in the park doing drugs, not in the house of ill repute, he's sitting in the temple. That 12-year-old boy, the rebellious one, is at church and he's not mucking around on the drum kit or he's hanging out with the elders talking theology. Interesting place. Now Mary, and I say this, I say totally understandably, Mary, well, some of that anxiety and that stress of those last few days comes out. How could you treat us like this? Us, can't you see your father and I worried sick about you? Now, some of you who are parents have actually said those exact words, right? There's nothing wrong with them. How could you treat us like this? Can't you see how it's affected us? Where's your respect for your father? Now, Jesus is 12, which means, of course, he has an answer for his parents because he's got an answer for everything. And also, like a 12-year-old, he sees things very differently to his parents. See how he actually shifts the scenario. Why were you even looking for me? That was three days you didn't have to waste. You should have known where I'd be. Didn't you know I must, interesting word there, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? See, in his words, Jesus is clearly aware that there's something very special about his relationship with God. And that's why he's here. You see, Jesus is actually saying, I know you don't, this seems disrespectful, but it's actually my respect for my father and the family hierarchy. That's why I'm here. Staying at the temple is the action that demonstrates he's actually making his relationship with his heavenly father. That's the primary direction marker for his life now. That's what sets Jesus' agenda: his relationship with his heavenly father, and and that's why he thinks it should be obvious to them where he would be. Hey, look, I have. I have so many questions about this scenario, about Jesus. What was 12-year-old Jesus thinking at this point? Was he just going to live in Jerusalem now? Like, what was he going to do? Was he going to plan his own church? You know, How long was he grounded for? I want to know. (laughs) When he got back to Nazareth, what happened? So many questions for our divine delinquent. Yet we know from the end of the book of Luke, the guy who wrote this book, that the author regards Jesus as perfect. He never did anything wrong for Luke. And some, from the rest of Scripture, we know that the Bible says Jesus is perfect, totally sinless, and yet at the same time, here we've got a tween testing the boundaries, doing what seems right to him, and being an absolute pain in the neck when he does it. At least as far as his parents were concerned. It's hugely inconvenient for them. There's five days lost. Traveling with, and think about it, traveling without the safety of the group now, all the way back to Nazareth. Now look, this is not the main point of this story, but it's a big part of the dynamic here. I want to, I want to encourage you, it is possible, it is possible for a child to be very difficult to parent, uh, in a particular moment for a child to be a, a perceived pain in the neck, and yet not sinning. For those of you who are parents, just, just just take a moment. See, not every difficulty that you have with your child is a moral one. And it's not the case that every time they do something that you don't want them to do, that they're actually sinning. Now, of course, if it's a direct disobedience to an express instruction, sure. But, but sometimes their kids are just trying to... They're kids. Their kids trying to work out how to live in the world, and it's tricky. Even for Jesus. 12-year-old Jesus. God incarnate. God in skin. And yet so genuinely human that he had to learn things as he grew up. So... Just just a thought. Your, your two-year-old is saying, mine all the time and grabbing things that belong to them and keeping them for themselves. It's a new phase. All of a sudden, they're doing it. It's probably not that they've all of a sudden become selfish. It's just that maybe they've hit the developmental stage where they understand the concept of possession and they're trying it out. Okay. There are moments where we don't need to discipline and punish so we you know, shame and guilt them but actually we need to guide and train with a twinkle in your eye and a smile on your face and a ha-ha, yeah, I get it. it. makes sense what you did. I get it. But then let's do this differently now. Now, I want to be clear. This isn't parenting advice. This is a parenting confession. <laughs> I mess this up all the time. There are times that I'm frustrated with my children all the time. And sure, I might not understand what on earth they were thinking when they thought that, you know, grabbing your sister and holding her over the edge of the steps was a really good idea. Like, I don't know why Raphael thinks that that's fun. Con- and the consequences might be massively inconvenient for me, but some of the times my response shows that it shows anger at the child when maybe they've actually done nothing wrong but to be a child of their particular age and their particular stage. They'll need patient guidance training, but in that moment they may not need a timeout. It's worth remembering. Now, there's something special about Jesus here in the temple. You notice how he interacts with the elders here. Verse 46. He's among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Listening to the teachers, asking them questions. He's humble. He submits himself to and learns from those in authority. His stance, even as the son of God, is to sit under the teachers of the law in his country who are his spiritual shepherds. These same teachers of the law, by the way, who, once he reaches the age where it's appropriate for him to teach, the age of 30 for a Jew, he would then rebuke such authority. But here, he sits to listen, to hear and be taught. But then you get to verse 46. And everyone's listening in. And they're amazed that Jesus understands. Not the elders. They're amazed that Jesus answers. Even though he's the one asking the questions, but it's his answers that amazed everyone. And I love the word for amazed here in the Greek. It's the word that we get the phrase, you know, you say, oh, they're beside themselves. Uh, This is the Greek word. It's to stand next to yourself. And they are beside themselves hearing this 12-year-old speak with such understanding. And yet he's just asking questions. Now, look. I reckon if you go to church, or if you read the Bible, go to growth group, thinking that you have learned it all, then you probably need to be more like Jesus. Like if you rocked up here this afternoon thinking, yep, I know I'm going to get another reminder of all the things I've always known, nothing exciting, nothing different, I've kind of been around church for a while, I know things. Well, maybe you need to be more like Jesus. See, that's normal, right? It's understandable. I mean, if you're going to church all your life, it can be very easy to feel that way. I feel that way. But the reality is, if God is truly infinite, if the God of the universe is is absolutely unboundable, then the more that you learn about him, all that's going to happen is the more you'll realize you do not know about him. I think it's kind of what will keep heaven interesting, even though it goes on into infinity. Because even as my knowledge of God grows, my knowledge of how much I don't know about him will grow quicker forever. So how do you do it? What do you do? What do you do if you feel like like this? Like maybe you go to church or you go to growth group and you think, oh, I'm not gonna let it. Oh, great honesty. You've been willing to come to that in your heart just then, that's beautiful. Humiliating, but repentance is good for the soul. That's what we need to do. My suggestion is maybe ask some wise people who disagree with you on some things. Ask some people, hey, actually, where is it I go wrong? What's what are my weak points? What am I missing out on in life and doctrine? What angles of the gospel do I miss or do I underplay or do I not understand? What a gutsy question that would be to ask of an elder or a wise brother or sister at church. Kick off the next phase of your growth as a Christian. Anyways, all right. back to the standoff because we have left this here at an awkward point quite publicly. If you've ever had an argument with a child in public, you know this is very delicate. This is tricky. The elders have all stopped talking. And everyone is watching. Like that parent, you can just watch them changing their parenting style and because, because everyone at the supermarket is looking on as to how this is going to end, getting their popcorn out and just watching. Mary and Joseph are really hoping Jesus doesn't start an argument and make this worse. right? I mean, and the question for Jesus is, who, who am I meant to be submitting to here? Family hierarchy dictates he should obey his parents, but then Jesus is claiming that, well, family hierarchy is the reason that I did this in the first place. My heavenly Father. And did you notice when he says this, this is the second time that Mary and Joseph don't know something. They didn't know when Jesus wasn't with them. And they didn't know what Jesus meant. He said this. While everyone else is praising Jesus for how much he does know. Now, does anyone know the? Uh, there's like a modern Christmas carol song called Mary, Did You Know? You guys know that? Yeah, so Mary, did you know that, you know, the... The baby you delivered would one day deliver you. Um, Mary, did you know that the, your baby child would one day walk on water? All those things. Um, well, at least here, Mary does not know. She didn't understand what he said. But what exactly didn't they get? What was it that what was it that the angel told them when before he was born that, that she'd forgotten? See. If you're the teen or tween here thinking, there are a couple of younger, yep, good on your lads and lasses, good to see you guys here. If you're thinking, my parents just don't get me, my parents do not understand. They don't get it. Jesus feels your pain, right? They didn't understand. They didn't get him. But what did Jesus choose? Did he submit to his parents or does he go with God? Despite him getting it and them just not understanding him. Not getting him at all. Jesus submits himself to his parents, leaves the temple, and he heads back to Nazareth. Willing to bet he was grounded for quite a while, Uh, and the phrase literally there is, he was submitting to them, indicating his continuing, ongoing pattern of life. Submitted to the grounding, submitted to the chores the next day, and he didn't pull this kind of stunt again until, well, until he reached 30 years old. He obeyed mum and dad because he trusted heavenly dad. See, these are the parents that his heavenly father gave him. And he'd been commanded to honor them. And so it's actually his respect for his heavenly father that meant that he obeyed his earthly parents. Now, the word submit gets a bit of a bad rap these days. Uh, I can understand that, mostly because it's association with patriarchal abuses of power and power structures. And that's fair because when someone uses the word submit to mean, well, abuse of a vulnerable person, then it's a dark and evil thing. When submit means women are less valuable and important than men, that is an evil thing. I get that. But notice here that Jesus is the one who submits. This isn't the lesser bows to the greater. Everyone's amazed at Jesus' insight and his parents are clueless. Jesus is God the Son. The person in this story, this tween, is the one who created the universe. He's the one for whom God created the universe. He's the one who flung stars into space, but only after he'd invented the very concept of stars and the space to fling them into and the quantum physics that makes all of that work. It's that Jesus here who submits to Carpenter Joe and Mary. does whatever they say. Infinitely inferior to him in every possible respect. Except that, that's mom and dad. So oh, i You see, submission is not the weak being taken advantage of by the strong. Here, the great one obeys the lesser because he trusts his heavenly father. And that was just as hard as it sounds and just as hard as it is for you kids to obey your parents when you feel that they don't get it. See, ultimately, the adult Jesus, well, he didn't grow out of submission, did he? He did the same thing. He reached the climax of his life's work by submitting to those who wanted to kill him. He willingly walked up a hill to his death to save you and me, to rescue us from our rebellion against God the Father, the Father that Jesus trusted and submitted himself to. The, The greatest act of all history, the one that saw Jesus enthroned as the King of all kings, was an act of submission to the will of the Father. So, what does this text call us to? Well, not what directly. There's no instructions there, is it? So, we've got to kind of do a bit of work to work it out. But I just want to start with one thing it's not calling us to do. This text is not calling anyone being abused by someone in power over them to stay in that situation. Say that doesn't ask that. Please talk to me, talk to your elders. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a quite a, a nicely distant person right now. You don't know, you, don't, you know, maybe someone outside the situation might be easier to talk to. Talk to your elders. They take, and I take, this kind of situation very seriously, very discreetly, very carefully. That's you. But this situation does show us the one true image of God. It shows us Jesus. And it shows him not putting his pride above submitting to appropriate authority. No matter how much infinitely greater than his parents he is. This is the man that we try and imitate. And he doesn't ever lord his superiority over others to his own advantage. He's humble. He listens. He learns. See, church, church is not a meritocracy. It doesn't put the great ones at the top and the little ones at the bottom. That's not how church works. Church, church works when we all submit ourselves to each other, this is Ephesians 6.1, out of reverence for Christ when we entrust the lifting of our head to someone else to do, not to grab it ourselves. See, the only status or greatness that's worth achieving is the status of the greatest servant to other people. Being competitive among you guys, not with me to you, pretending that I happen to be the guy giving me Bible talk. I'm just some schmuck who follows Jesus. Do we ever fall into Christian competitiveness? Trust your heavenly Father instead. And that's what's going to enable us to submit to each other at church instead of competing. Trust Him to be the one who makes things right. Now, there are some kids in the room, so we will do it. Kids, submit to your parents. That's right and good. Not because they're always right. They're not. Heavenly Father is. He gave them to you as a gift to you. you. The rest of us? Well, Ephesians says that it's something that we all do towards each other. We all submit to each other out of love and out of honour for Christ. But being the greater doesn't mean playing playing it like a jerk. See, where do you actually use your superiority? You might be greater than other people here at certain things. You lord it over the others. Or do you submit yourself to other people and their welfare? Out of reverence for Christ. Now, this doesn't mean don't... This doesn't mean pretend that you're not correct about something if you are correct. Don't play dumb. Don't sort of hide the truth of something Jesus didn't. Jesus spoke the truth and honestly here. But if the appropriate thing is for someone else to lead, if we're in a space where they are the lead role, or for someone else to get their way, then Christians do that with smiles on their faces, knowing that they're walking in Jesus' presence. Because we trust their heavenly Father. Now, look, you might not be a Christian here today. If so, fantastic. This is my first visit to this church as well. So very cool to, very cool to be with a, uh, a visitor with you. Uh, I'd invite you to follow Jesus because you get to be a part of a family where we don't one-up each other. Where people are actually going to submit to your welfare out of reverence for the Jesus that they follow. So come talk to me. Talk to someone who you know here about Jesus. I would love to help you get to know this guy, this tween in this text who ends up being the king of the whole world. Not just to know about him, but I'd love to help you get to know him. The guy who saves us all by his death on the cross. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for who you are. That you do ordain situations for us where we need to learn, as Jesus did, to submit. And that that's true with all parts of the body, with all people of church. That we submit to each other out of reverence for Jesus. Father, we pray that you just humble our hearts now, but also lift them up. That we'd know how loved we are by you and that in that we would have the power and the security and that, that joy that enables us not to need to find, try and seek it out for ourselves, but to look to give it to others. That so we'd humbly submit ourselves to our great King. Thank you for Jesus, the great example and the one who we wish to be like. Please make us like him.